Hey, Skeeters fans, Ryan Posner here. On today's episode of Down in Sugarland, my co-host Brandon and I will talk baseball with the Athletics' Jay Kaplan. We'll go over some of our favorite opening day memories, and lastly but not least, a royal rumble of the mascots in AAA West. Hit it, Troy! Looking to relocate? Then contact Nick DeRose for any of your real estate needs in the Dallas Metroplex area. For more information, give them a call at 469-283-8360. DeRose Dallas Realty. Cowboy by nature. Agent by trade. So, Brandon, we had some news earlier this week. Uh, The Skiers have a manager. Mickey Story was announced as the manager. Our full coaching staff was also announced as well. Eric Abreu, the pitching coach, former minor leaguer with the Yankees and the Astros. Ben Rosenthal, who's been the hitting coach. For the Astros AAA affiliate the last few years, he is returning as the hitting coach. John or Sean Canoli, rather, as a development coach and a couple athletic trainers and a strength coach. And got the full full compliment now. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, we've got a manager in Mickey who's, you know, he, he managed the uh, Quad City River, Ca- uh, River Bandits and also the Round Rock Express. And so it's going to be nice to have somebody who is also a player. I mean, he was a former Astro as well. So he's going to bring a good knowledge to the team. Yeah, and he's... I mean, you know, say what you want about how much managers affect the game, but, you know, Round Rock is last year there. They had the best record in all AAA. Uh, they made it to the PCL finals. Uh, they won their division in the PCL. So he's had some great success. I mean, like you mentioned, with Quad Cities, and then he got it called to Round Rock, and now he's uh, going to be the skiers' first ever manager. And he, uh, he he's shown some toughness throughout his career, hasn't he, Brandon? Oh, man, you want to talk about a guy that can uh, take one off the jaw. In 2011, June 2011, he was called up by the Astros. Little later on in September, he was playing against the Cubs, and uh, he took a line drive right off the right hand and jaw. But the best part about story, only missed a few games. What a tough man. That's exactly what you want at the helm. That <laughs> literally will take one off the jaw and then just be back in a couple of days. That's wild, man. Yeah, and uh, he said he played for the Astros. Great numbers in 2012. You know, he played uh, pitching 20, 26 games, had a 3-6 at six ERA, and uh, He's been well-traveled, too. I mean, he's pitched in the Dominican uh, Winter League, the Puerto Rican Winter League, the Mexican League. He's even pitched a Constellation of Field ones, if you can believe that, uh, as a member of the Somerset Patriots there in the Atlantic League. So uh, I've heard none of them good things. Really excited to meet him. And just at 35, I mean, he seems like a fast riser, a guy that uh, may end up, you know, being a manager at the major level someday. And uh, we're, we're excited to get to meet him. Hopefully we'll have him on the podcast here at some point in the coming weeks. And uh yeah, like I said, we're just pumped to finally have a skeeter, right? We got we have our first group of skeeters, and uh, after the Astros break camp, we'll, we'll figure more of that out as we go along. Well, when we come back, we have a discussion with the athletic Astros beat writer, Jake Kaplan, we'll talk about opening day and all the great stuff going on at Astros camp. You're listening to Down in Sugarland. Welcome back to Down in Sugarland. We're joined by Jake Kaplan, who covers the Astros for the athletic. Jake, thanks for joining us, man. And uh, how's everything going as, you know, the Astros wrap up spring training here? Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's baseball season finally, right? It, um, it's uh, you know, it's weird to that we're finally at this point. You know, for the whole off season, I was convinced they wouldn't start on time. They wouldn't play one sixty two. Who knows what a minor league season is going to look like? And now, you know, it seems like it's you know, it, it it's just spring training sped by, and there's what a month till the minor league season, uh, minor league baseball comes back. So it's. It's an exciting time for baseball. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it really seemed like the season was going to get delayed, uh, and then thankful it isn't. Uh, you know, I, I know spring training numbers, you're trying to get too much in the weeds with that kind of stuff, but what, what have some of you been your, some of your biggest takeaways uh, from the Astros camp? 
Yeah, I don't care about spring trading stats like at all. <laughs> like I don't even look at them. Yeah. Um, so I guess my biggest takeaway would be Framber Valdez got hurt and they signed Jago Derizzi. Um, you know, I guess also, you know, Pedro Baez, Andre Scrub being behind schedule mm-hmm. for various reasons. Um, you know, um, I'm trying to think of what else occurred. Uh, it was pretty eventful for spring training, I would say. Um, but uh, yeah, my takeaways are more, I guess, the bigger picture uh, takeaways about like roster construction. Um, I don't take a ton out of like how guys look in spring training because I, I, this is my like fifth or sixth spring uh, covering baseball. And I used to do that. And I would always, it all, would always prove to be irrelevant. Like I remember spring of 2017, like De- Josh Reddick looked terrible. And Derek Fisher, who was a prospect at the time, looked great. And I was like, oh, why, why'd they sign Reddick to this huge contract? They could just play Fisher. And then Reddick has a, a career year in 2017 and Fisher eventually makes it up, but doesn't pan out. So mm-hmm. it just, you know, it doesn't really, these spring numbers don't really mean anything. Absolutely. So Jake, one thing I would say as a story from spring training is who's going to be the new leadoff guy now that Springer's gone. And it's kind of looking at the tail end of the games. Is it Altuve's job to lose? Yeah, it's Altuve. Um, Dusty Baker. I mean, he kind of beat around the bush for a few weeks. Like he, he batted Altuve leadoff for like the last two weeks, maybe more. But it wasn't until the final day of camp on Monday when he like finally admitted, yeah, it's Altuve. Um, so it's going to be Jose Altuve. Um, I think Dusty Baker would prefer to just have a set lineup and keep it that way. But um, if it doesn't work out, they could always try someone else. I, I think he always uh, seemed like he made the most sense for what Dusty would be looking for. I personally thought Alex Bregman was the best candidate, but that doesn't seem like anything they really considered. Um but, you know, there was, uh, you know, Jose Altuve brings the, he brings the power element. He brings the speed. Uh, he's one of their best seven hitters. You want to bat your best hitters, give them the most at bats. I'd say he's probably one of their four or five best hitters. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's Altuve. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what you guys think about batting order. I always struggle with how much to write about it, how because it doesn't actually matter that much. But fans love talking about it. I don't know how, where you guys fall on that. So. I do end up writing about it, but, um, you know, it doesn't, I think it maybe gets more attention than it actually matters, if that makes sense. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. I just think the one thing that they're trying to figure out is how to replace that pop that Springer yeah. brought. I mean, the fact that he could start a ball game, one nothing first pitch of the game, which he's done multiple times. I mean, Altuve definitely has that pop, but I think he's a little bit better about hitting for bases, et cetera, more so than maybe George was. Yeah, and I'm kind of with I'm kind of with you, Jake. I know I, I read your writing too. I'm I'm more like, hey man, I know there was some talk about Miles Straw maybe batting leadoff, and it's like, are you really going to put, you know, a guy who may end up with one of the worst on base average, you know, OBS on your team at first, and then obviously Jose Altuve is kind of the inverse of that. He's going to have one of the higher OPSs on the team. So I kind of yeah. kind of side with I you on that one. I feel like you should almost just stack your best hitters, like and and order of on base percentage, order of OPS, either one. And just do it that way. And Miles Straw is objectively like their eighth or ninth best hitter. So betting him first would have been uh, pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, that's why I do MLB the show and it seems to work out. So I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad that MLB teams are start, finally starting to catch on to that. Um, hey, man, now you guys do like really great journalism at, at The Athletic. And uh, I know you've done some feature type stories uh, on Astros minor leaguers, you know, as they come up. So, you know, from a professional standpoint, how pumped are you to know that like, hey, this Astros, obviously now with Zoom, but when we can actually resume things, like how pumped are you to find out that your AAA affiliate was in the backyard now? Can I be honest? Yeah. Uh, 
I was part of me was excited because it cuts down on the time spent in the car, but <laughs> I got to go to Austin when I went to Round. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So it wasn't the worst trip in the world. Um, no, I'm excited to. It'll definitely cut down on on time in the car. Um, you know, I'm just happy they're in Texas. Like the first couple of years I was on the Astros beat there in Fresno, California. So I never made it out there once. Yeah. Um, you know, I would I would see them when they came to play Round Rock as a visitor every two years. But um, it was definitely nice in 2019 to have that two and a half hour drive. I think I went twice uh, during that season. And I usually I think I went to Corpus twice that season, um, you know, and so th- this will be easier for me to come, you know, quite often. Um, so I'm definitely pumped for that. Um, you know, but I, I didn't, I didn't mind the Austin trips either. <laughs> no, man, you're definitely not alone on that one. And, uh, we actually play them quite a bit this year. So I'm, I'm pumped myself to get up to Dell diamond and, uh, spend some time up there. Um, you know, I know we, maybe, I should, maybe I should plan my trips for that too, then. Yeah, there we go, man. Yeah. We'll hit, we'll hit salt Lake and we'll just have a good old time up there in Austin. <laughs> Perfect. I'm in. <laughs> um, you know, I know we talked about the delay in the minor league season, so this might be tougher to answer now, but. Maybe who are some guys that may start in Sugarland, may end up being in Sugarland at some point that you can maybe see impacting the Astros in some form and maybe September or October if they make the playoffs? Yeah, I think the most, um, the best prospect who could start in Sugarland is probably Jeremy Pena, the shortstop prospect who could be the heir to Carlos Correa for the Astros. Um, he's a really interesting prospect. He's incredible defensively. Uh, he's super athletic and he's absolutely jacked. Like he is in incredible <laughs> shape. Um, and the big question with him is, is he going to hit enough? And I, and I think he's made enough strides in the last two years where people think he will. Um, I don't know if he starts in, in Sugarland, but I think he will. Um, I don't know if he makes it up to the Astros this year, but he, there's an outside chance he 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 could, especially if they need like a utility guy, and he, he could easily fill fill in on that role. He's got to be added to the 40 man roster in November anyway for the Rule Five stuff, so why not? Um, some other guys. I mean, I would have said Forrest Whitley obviously before his injury. Um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of guys who are up and down from the Astros. Like Luis Garcia could be one of those type of guys. He's one of their better pitching prospects. Um, just trying to think around the diamond. You know, you'll you'll definitely have Taylor Jones, first baseman, third baseman, left fielder, who hits the ball really hard. Um, and I, I'm I personally think he's a good player. Um, I, I'm actually a little surprised the Astros haven't given him more of a shot. Um, who else? Who I mean, ask me about some guys because I'm I'm blanking on a few names. Here. Yeah, I mean, I think one that Astros fans are captivated by, and I'm sure a lot of us here in Sugarland is Pedro Leon. I mean, a guy that would, not a lot of tape on him, so kind of interested. I'm. I'm we, I'd be shocked. I'm sure you can back this up if you started it with the Skeeters, but I mean, possibly at some point this year, I, mean, I think that'd be somebody that'd be pretty cool to get a glimpse of. Yeah, I think there's definitely a chance he makes it up to AAA this year. I don't think he starts there either. Um, and then there's an outside chance he makes the Astros this year too. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen him uh, in live, obviously. I've seen him on, on TV a little. I've seen video a little. Uh, smaller guy, really fast, really strong arm. Um, apparently has really good power. Um, but you know, there's, it's, he, he hasn't done it against advanced pitching. So, um, still very much a question there. Uh, I think it's interesting how much of like, a the hype train on Twitter has started with him just <laughs> yeah. because he got a signing bonus. It's like, if his signing bonus was half of what it was, would it would this much be getting this much attention? Exactly. But, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, 
over the years, I've, you know, I, I like to write about the minor leagues and player development and prospects as much as anyone, but I also am wary of like, you know, the prospect hype machine too. Sure, absolutely. And, um, you know, I've seen enough guys come up over the years who are billed as top prospects and then don't amount to anything to kind of have your, uh, you have to kind of, you know, do your best to keep everything in context, I guess. Sure. So, Jake, you said if Pedro makes the Astros, where would he play? So, um, so like, I think his path to the Astros would be in center field if Miles Straw isn't getting it done, whoever their backup plan is, be it Jose Siri or Chas McCormick doesn't get it done, they don't acquire a center fielder at the deadline, and Leon torches the minors. Like, it would take a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think it's likely. I think it's possible, but not likely. Um, but he's definitely a center fielder. Like, the Astros are trying out the shortstop thing. Personally, I don't really understand the point of it. But um, I guess if he can do it, the thinking is it's a center shortstop's a more valuable position than center field. But, um, you know, I... I think uh, ultimately he's a center fielder. Well, if they're trusting him out at shortstop, how are they going to decide between Pena and Leon if that's going to be the case? I guess the thinking is like you can't guarantee either of them are going to pan out, right? Um, you know, Pena is probably the best defender at shortstop in their organization besides Correa right now. Um, like he's he would he could play def- defense at the major league level like two years ago. Um, so he's definitely like the better fit at the position, but what if he doesn't hit enough? Um, and you know, what if Miles Strahl does? I guess they're just kind of planning for every scenario. I don't, you know, personally, I would probably just tell Pedro Leon go play center field and forget about everything else. But uh, you know, they've done this before. They did this with Miles Straw in 2019, and Straw ended up playing most of his games at shortstop that season, and it. it it uh, raised his war for that year, but you don't see him playing short stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to follow that. Uh, kind of wanted to go in a different direction here, Jake. I remember we actually met at the press box at Globe Life Field in 2016. Uh, I was an MLB.com intern for the Rangers, and you were on the Astros beat for the Chronicle. Um, I remember we started chatting. You let me know you were also one of uh, the MLB.com interns once upon a time for the Phillies. Uh, what year did you do that, and kind of what was that experience like uh, interning with the Phillies uh, for MLB.com? Yeah, it was 2012. So it was like the first year they they weren't amazing uh, after that run. Mm-hmm. It was I think they were 81 and 81 that season. Um, it was a great experience for me right out of school, um, learning from Todd Zalecki, who is still their the MLB.com Phillies reporter, um, and being around, you know, a bunch of writers. I grew up in Philly, so it was being around a bunch of writers who I grew up reading or um, – idolized really um so it was a great experience kind of uh you know i i I didn't know for sure it would ever you know lead to another baseball job because you you know we can't predict where our our journalism careers are going to go but um definitely a good foundation for me um in that job as i'm sure it was for you in, in arlington even though you had to work under tr yeah tr he actually just retired this year man he is like he's an absolute treasure and uh he steals the seat at Minute Maid Park, or he used to. Like every time he would come, and I don't think he realized it, but I would happily move and not say anything. <laughs> I know he's like one of those guys where I think his bark is worse than his bite. You, you, you scare the crap out of you when you see him, but he's also just like the nicest person ever. Um, yeah, I always thought him and 
our our Rangers writer Levi Weaver would make like a good sitcom, just the way they yes bantered oh, with each other. I love Levi. He's a, he's a good man. Um, Tr and the Weaver. Yeah, dude. I'm yeah, Levi. Levi's got a crazy story too. Uh, to, for, for a different time, I guess. Um, hey, man, you guys do a lot. Like, some of the athletic. I mean, you do a lot of long form stuff too. Which I mean, I love those kind of stories. Is there one that you've written so far um, with like on the Astros beat that you might call your favorite, or maybe even like the most impactful that you've gotten to work on? Hmm. That's a good question. I think my, the story that I think is the best was one that I, a fee, an Alex Bregman feature I wrote. Um, I think it ran July, July of 2019. Cause I went to Albuquerque for it. Um, kind of with the thinking of like, how does a baseball superstar come from Albuquerque, New Mexico? Um, and the story I thought turned out well, we ran it like as a lead into the all-star game. He, it was his first time as the starting third baseman for the AL. So I, I was, I thought that story was probably my best, but there's my, I don't know. Some of the, like, I wouldn't call them long form, but some other stories I really enjoyed reporting and I'm proud of like discovering, I would say for lack of a better term are um, a story about Charlie Morton's time as a wedding singer, um, which I wrote in, <laughs> I guess that would have been 2018 in his last year with the Astros. Um, a story about um, this bait and tackle shop in South Florida where Brad Peacock's dad uh, had like these, he wore the hat of this, of this shop every day. And it was on TV when they were in the playoffs. That was really fun. Cause I drove up to the shop and like, uh, I forget what town it was in South Florida. I don't know. Just kind of like the wow. off the wall stuff. I like, yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some, um, some good ones, but uh, those stand out. Um, you know, I did one my first year at the Athletic, looking back at the Randy Johnson trade, which I was proud of. Um, that was pretty fun to talk to Randy Johnson, Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, yeah. um, the, the GMs at the time, or one of. I think I only got one of the, the Astros GM at the time, but um, just looking back at that that 1998 run with that trade. So there's been a bunch. Um, it's been a great three plus years now. Like, I guess just over three years. Uh, and it is nice that we have the the freedom to kind of dig deeper and explore on on some bigger topics. Jake, do you have any uh, tape of Morton singing? You can uh, YouTube it. Um, he sung at like a Pirates fan fest back in the day. Um, I think there was there was like I found like a link to like a broken MySpace page that he used to have music yes, on. That's amazing. Yes, <laughs> and it, the songs didn't work, but they were like you could see the the titles. Um, and after I, it ran, I was like, "Hey, the pe people really liked that story." He was like, "Oh, you already ran it? I should. I was gonna, uh, you know, I could have, uh, you know, whipped something up for you and, and sung something." I was like, "Oh, well, now you tell me." Next um, podcast, <laughs> but. Um, it was funny because I remember like uh, he only did it for one wedding. It was Chuck James. Remember that former Braves pitcher? Um, it's kind of ringing a bell. Yeah. Back in the 90s and or late 90s, early 2000s, I guess. Probably early 2000s. Uh, yeah, 2000s. And um, so he, he wrote a song for that wedding and, and performed there. And like, but the story was also just about like how he was like really into music when he was in the minor leagues and wrote his own music and his minor league um, t 
teammates would like make him perform at bars here and there. So it was fun to like talk about that stuff. Um, yeah. And it was like, I remember talking to Brian McCann about it cause he was with the Braves and uh, Johnny Venters. Um, it was, it was fun. To, and, and Chuck James, of course, it was, it was just like a fun, different, different story um, to work on, but no, I never, I've never heard Morton sing personally or perform, but I know he's, he's a man of many talents. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's amazing, man. I learned something new today. And uh, by the way, I did. I remember reading that Alex Bregman piece, and that was amazing. I learned like everything. I, I didn't know much about him as a player or a person, but that was uh, that was great, man. I remember reading that. And uh, I wanted to ask too. I mean, fans. I feel like a lot of them want to know, like, okay, Alex Bregman, we know him as a player, but like they want to know him as a person. And you serve as a conduit for that. You know, you and the rest of the guys on the beat. Uh, is there a player or two that you know you were really like chatting with, and uh, you know, getting getting a chance to speak with in the clubhouse? There's been a lot over the years, um, you know, many of them who have since gone on to other teams. Um, you know, um, I seem to trend towards pitchers for some reason. I don't know if they're more available because they only pitch every five days or if they're reliever, like the relievers are the most available pitchers, usually players. They're like always around. Um, so like Charlie Morton would have been a guy I really enjoyed chatting with, um, Will Harris would have been one, um, you know, and that's the, that's the part, you know, I, I don't, I guess I can name a few more Colin McHugh, Dallas Keuchel, Garrett Cole, like I'm naming all pitchers, obviously, <laughs> but um, let me try to get a couple positions. Max Stassi, Tony Kemp. Those are some good position mm-hmm. player chat to chat with, but really, I mean, they've had, they've had a pretty good clubhouse over the years. Um, and that's the part that I've really missed the last 13 months is I haven't, been in a clubhouse since the first week of spring training of 2020. Uh, so like, I'm talking like February 22nd, 2020, 13 months ago. And, you know, that's really how you get to learn about the game, uh, how you learn what's going on, just, just shooting with players. Um, you know, not always on the record, just learning about the game, like asking them stuff just to try to better your understanding and, and build relationships that way. Um, you know, all the interviews in the last year have just been zoom or phone calls. Um, and it's, it's just not the same. So, um, you know, I, I definitely, you know, when it's safe to do so, I definitely can't wait to get back into the uh, scenario where reporters can be back in the clubhouse. Yeah, man, that's wild. I know that's gotta be pretty tenuous to have to try to write these stories, but any interpersonal reaction. Um, so we're gonna wrap it up here, Jake. I want to rapid fire a few questions at you though. If you got sure. to choose one player on the Astros to team up with to get an escape room, who is it and why? An escape room? I've never done an escape room. <laughs> um, I would be terrible at it, though. Um, so your partner is even more important now. <laughs> current Astro? Sure. Yeah, let's go with somebody on the current 40-man or whatever minor league system. Hold on. i got to pull up the roster. <laughs> I am uh, – here's another thing. Because I haven't been in the clubhouse – in a year, there's like several players I don't it's personally true. really know yet. Um, hmm. You know, it's got to be Zach Greinke, right? I mean, that that's kind of who I thought you were going to say. I mean, he just seems very cerebral and like you probably would get out of it in like two minutes without even like yeah. sweating. Yeah, I feel like Greinke would be would be there. Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go with Greinke. Solid choice. That would actually that was going to be mine too. So I'm, we're on we're on the same wavelength here. And uh, 
Same question, but now for reporters who cover the Astros. Oh, none of them. Jeez. <laughs> you're going. You're going solo dolo on that one. I don't want to wear. I don't want to be in the same room as that. Maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, definitely not Chandler Rome from the Chronicle. Um, probably not Brian McTaggart from MLB.com. Um, I, I, I don't know how far we're going on on media here, but um, no, I would probably recruit like an out of town writer. Maybe there you go. Nicely done. Nicely done. Well, Jake, um, you know, before we head out, how you know how can people subscribe to the Athletic? Want to give you a chance, you know, to kind of shout it out. You guys do a lot of good work, and want to let people know how they can uh, get your content. Yeah, just go to theathletic.com. Um, you can subscribe that way um, if you want, and I definitely wouldn't mind this. You can you know, subscribe off of one of my stories that I tweet out. Uh, that would be great for me <laughs> personally. <laughs> Absolutely. There you go. Uh, um, we do have like a $1 a month for six month deal right now. So any link on my Twitter to a story, you could access that, which is a good time to get in. But, um, but ultimately, yeah, just subscribe on the athletic.com. And if you are looking for me on Twitter, I'm at Jake M Kaplan. All right, that was Astros beat reporter of the Athletic, Jake Kaplan. Follow him on Twitter at Jake M. Kaplan. Thanks for joining us, Jake. Hope to chat again soon. Yeah, my pleasure. Look forward to, to seeing you guys down in Sugarland uh, during the minor league season for sure. We'll be right back on Down in Sugarland. Baseball is back at Constellation Field, and full season ticket deposits are now available. May 20th is just around the corner, and you won't want to miss exciting baseball this summer as the Skeeters enter their first season as the AAA affiliate of the Houston Astros. For more information, visit SugarlandSkeeters.com and be one of the first to reserve a seat. All right, folks, we are just a day away from opening day now. Everything gets ready to go here on Thursday. And uh, Brandon, I wanted to you know, chat with you. What are some of your favorite opening day memories that you can think of? I think whenever I think of the best play on opening day, you immediately start with Mark Burley. Just deflected over. Look at the play by Burley. Mercy. Wow. From the Gold Glove winner. Look at this. That one's going to be on highlight reels all year long. Mercy. Dude, Nothing better. That's a signature hot call right there. On top of that, the play starts off with Burley kick saving a beauty right off the heel of his left foot. Runs on over into the foul territory to gather the ball. Instead of just kind of flipping it, tosses it between the legs and then the underrated part of the play, Paul Canerco, barehanding at first base to nab him in time. Mercy. I mean, yeah, that that's one of the most iconic plays, you know, by any pitcher. It just so happened to be on opening day. And I, I don't know about you. I've always been kind of skeptical. Like, how do they decide what pitcher wins the goal glove? Like, I feel like they just gave it to Greg Maddox. I was like, hey, it's Greg Maddox. <laughs> and Burley kind of fell into that category. But, like, you see that play and you're like, wow, that dude feels the position. And he made an amazing play. I mean, if you look at him, too, he's like the size of a couch. And he just has <laughs> yes. this amazing athletic ability all of a sudden and makes an iconic play that if you look through probably top plays ever, that's going to be on there. Is the play as good without Hawk Harrelson making that call? Oh, man, the mercy is the best part. I think yeah. we're going to make that into a drop and sneak that into the show more often. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, the Astros, they have Zach Greinke, who's kind of now in that category, too. Where, I mean, he just wins gold glove after gold glove, and then you see he makes plays, too. And Zach Greinke, also a sneaky good hitter. But Absolutely. I mean, he had it from the Diamondbacks when he hit on the West Coast and right. the Dodgers as well. So, of course, he's going to carry that when we do interleague play. Exactly. This might be his last year to swing the stick. And, uh, you know, speaking of swinging the stick, Ian Happ of the Cubs got a season going in a pretty big way against Miami Marlins back in 
2017, I believe, Brandon, or was it 2018? 18 started the Jeter. 2018. The Jeter era started like this. This will be the first pitch of the Major League season. This is the earliest start in the sports history, not including international games, here on March 29th. Yeah, Ian Happ hit seven home runs in spring training, five of them leading off the game. I expect him to take a pretty healthy cut here if he gets a juicy-looking first-pitch fastball from Urania. Urania to Happ, and a drive to right. Go, baby! What were you saying, Jimmy? Yes, sir! Good! <laughs> oh, oh, my! That's unbelievable! The best part is, when we mentioned it leading up to it, that started the Jeter era. You know he was sitting there in just a million-dollar suit, shaking hands, feeling like he brought the Yankee way all the way down to Miami, and Ian Hatt just shows him, no, this is what the Marlins have always been, <laughs> and launches one up into the upper deck. And it's one of those that the minute you hear it off the bat, you're like, oh, that is going a long, long way. Yeah, like I, I remember in 2018, the Marlins were definitely not – they were pretty much projected universally to finish last. But there's not really – like you could be a good team or a bad team – Getting smacked in the face with a solo shot on the first pitch of the season, like it doesn't matter who you are, that that one's gonna sting a little bit. But on top of that, Lynn Casper and JD on the call calling well it. Well done. Basically saying if he gets a fastball right here, watch him go after it, and then just launches it immediately. How do you follow up the rest of the season as the play-by-play -play guy? I mean, yeah, you're you're batting a thousand there to start the year off. I might just walk out of the booth and just call it a call it a year. Right, because any other prediction you make, it's like if he gets it wrong, <laughs> everybody's gonna point it out to you. And I might be wrong, or didn't Rizzo Homer like two or three batters later too in that same game? Launched against him. I remember yeah. that was something that opened up the Marlins season and they were just a seller of a team that year and I love it because that's exactly what you get when you're Jeter and you think that you're going to bring Yankee way no matter where you go yeah I mean they made the playoffs last year well I guess I guess see it was kind Short of season. exactly yeah so it'll do, do it in 162 games you know <laughs> exactly. um, and I know me and you we were, we're big fans of the Dan Levitard show and if you go you can find the clip of Billy Gill who was there and I mean they did, obviously had no clue this is going to happen they said Billy Gill reporting live and it's just like Obviously, they're big Marlins fans, and just the melting, like, the confidence leaking out of Billy. Like, oh, my God, he hit a home run. <laughs> like, the first pitch. And the best is he's on the phone doing that play-by-play, -play, and you can hear the crack of the bat while he's yes. on the phone. I mean, it was just an absolute monster shot. But I think if you're also thinking, you know, who else did opening day home runs? You got to look right here in our backyard, starting with Springer Dinger. This ball is hit well to left field, and on the first batter of the season, George Springer hits a home run, and the Astros quickly on top. We are ready to go for the first time in their 57-year history. The Astros kick off an opening day as defending World Series champions. And last year, George Springer kicked off 2017 with a bang as he would hit a home run as the first batter of the season against Felix Hernandez. 2-0 pitch is sent to right field. Pretty well hit. Looking up, Mazzara. He's done it again. Springer starts 2018 the same way he started 2017. And on the third pitch of the season, just like last year, the Astros lead 1-0 thanks to George. First off, uh, I am so excited to hear more of Todd Callis. The, the way he says the word Springer, I'm going to miss that. Like, just Springer. Like, that gets me, that gets me pumped up. But... He was the first player in Major League Baseball history to do that, hit an opening day leadoff home run. Is that like Cal Ripken's games played record? Is there anyone that's ever going to touch that, Brandon? I mean, you would have to say somebody's going to do it in three straight seasons. That's just 
That's a big yeah. pill to swallow. Well, get this. He homered on opening day the following year in the first inning. They just didn't bat him lead. They didn't bat him lead off. That's he went insane. three straight years homering in the first inning. Like, that's unbelievable. I didn't know that little factoid that he yeah. did it, but just not in the leadoff slot. And not to mention, so in 2018 when he did it, he comes off a five-homer effort in the World Series, World Series MVP, and then, oh, yeah, Cole Hamels, I'm going to take you deep, too, on opening day. Like, my first at bat of the following season. That's unbelievable. My thing, too, is what's up with these play-by-play guys just alluding to what the future is going to hold? <laughs> right. Both of them just nailing that, hey, you're probably going to see a home run like you did here earlier, and then boom, there right? it goes. I mean, there's some guys who are volume shooters, and you're like, oh, I can smell a home run here. But, I mean, hey, either way, that's how you start a season off. And then, also, Brandon, like, think about this with, with Springer. In 2017, Felix Hernandez was who he homered off of. I mean, probably a Hall of Famer. The next year, Cole Hamels. Potential Hall of Famer. Then in 2019, he almost off Blake Snell, who, oh, I mean, he just went, won the 2018 Sang Award. I mean, that's a phenomenal feat. I mean, it, it's not aggressive to say that Springer is probably one of the best, if not the best, leadoff hitters of our generation. I mean, it's going to be really tough to see him in a Blue Jay uniform. Yeah. That's, that's going to be something that I feel like it's going to make me sad the first time I see him come up to the plate. It's just going to feel wrong you know like seeing jordan in a wizard's uniform or right. brady in a bucks jersey you're like this just isn't what i grew up watching yeah I, I think you know out of all the guys you know you say what you will about altuve and and correa and bregman i feel like he just the fans just really latched on to george springer i mean he was the world series mvp i mean without him they don't i mean without a lot of guys they don't win it but especially without him five home runs in the world series like Come on, man. But it's even what he brought with personality, too, to the dugout. It was just he fit in with the guy so well, and it made it so fun to watch him as a TV product. It's just going to be sad that he took his talents to Canada. Yeah. Well, actually, technically, Dunedin, Florida, they were playing, like, at their spring training complex this year, at least start they're the season. They're pulling a, like, Toronto Raptors where they yeah. do Tampa Raptors. Yeah, they're playing, like, at their complex, which they, they just redid. It's kind of a random factoid, but it's it's crazy. Have you ever been to a Nobody Day game before? Uh, yeah, I went to, uh, when they first opened up, uh, Minute Maid on opening day, uh, went to that stadium as well. Got a great ball for that. That was actually right after they, uh, closed the Astrodome. So that was a really big opening day to attend. It was, it was just so nice to see that ballpark. I mean, Minute Maid is so cool to the fact that it, it looks old, but it's so, it's still modern. It's iconic looking, it's such a good looking ballpark. And I remember going from the Astrodome to that. I mean, it was just like, yeah. it was like stepping into a, like the future. Like I went into a time portal and suddenly it was like, there's not, you know, a big dome over us that has a bunch of weird lights that are hanging, but it, the Astrodome also had its own feel to it. Oh yeah. And I, I went to an opening day also in the Astrodome as well, but I, I will say ever since they moved to Minute Maid, you know, we brought the winning with it. The championship banners now hang. I think there's a lot more pride, especially when you go to opening day now in the modern day area oh yeah i i like the way you describe it i mean when i would play video games like that would be the ballpark like i'd always like play my games there because i just liked the way it looked it was unique it had towels hill which obviously isn't there anymore and it has the big wall on left with the manual scoreboard the arches like everything was so cool i think we should bring the hill here to constellation <laughs> and let oh, it live man. on out there in center i mean there's so many iconic plays when you look back at that hill Jim what, Edmonds. Exactly. That's exactly the person I was going to. <laughs> just because you see these professional athletes making these gold glove plays, and then a guy like Jim Edmonds just looking so silly, running up this yes. big hill, but then making the catch in the end. Carlos Beltran had a pretty gnarly catch up there, too. And I, I think they're just like, one guy blows his knee out, and then bam. But the best <laughs> part, too, was they had the 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 flagpole 
in play as well. Like, it just seemed like they just, like, threw a couple of beers back, and they're like, put a hill, and you know what? Put a flagpole, too. It's no like, one's going to say anything. It's so crazy, it just might work. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that's the thing. Like, I was looking back at old stadiums that had, like, silly, funny things into it, and one of them, uh, I believe it was UT's first ever baseball field, University of Texas. The entire outfield wall is a rock cliff, and it was in play. So the home run had to go over this wall that was built on top of the cliff. It was like a 400-foot shot in the air. Like, no one is doing yeah, this. no one's touching it. It's like, have you ever, like, seen, like, pictures of the old polo grounds where it's, like, 560 feet to dead center? Yeah, but I question that. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, come on, show me a tape measure. I mean, if you get a hold of it, maybe you, like, seven-hop the wall. Like, my goodness. Well, for the Astros opening day, Thursday, April 1st, against the Oakland Athletics in Oakland, it's going to be Zach Grinke versus Chris Bassett for the AIDS at 9.07 p.m., Local time here in Houston. All right, we still got some more to go here on Down in Sugar Land. Maybe come back. We've got a, a great segment I'm really looking forward to. We're going to have a little, uh, in the spirit of the NCAA tournament, a little mascot Royal Rumble bracket. When we come back, you're listening to Down in Sugar Land. Looking to relocate? Then contact Nick DeRose for any of your real estate needs in the Dallas Metroplex area. For more information, give them a call at 469-283-8360. DeRose Dallas Realty. Cowboy by nature agent by trade all right fellows we're getting ready to end episode number four here and in the spirit of march madness i wanted to have a little 10 team bracket royal rumble between all the nicknames of the triple a west teams and uh gonna start out and uh troy's gonna give us the the matchup me and brandon will decide on it if me and brandon are, are at a conflict we'll go to troy to break the tie and uh troy who do we got here? All right, for the first round of the uh, the play-in games, we had the Tacoma Rainiers, if I'm pronouncing that right, versus the uh, Sacramento Rivercats. Who you got these uh, mountains or Rivercats? I'll start. I'm gonna take. I'm looking at Tacoma here. A mountain. I'm not sure really how a Rivercat's gonna beat that. Looked up the history of a Rivercat. It's a made-up name. It's just a famous river that runs through the back of the city and it runs by the ballpark. And then the cat was just kind of like thrown in there. So it's really nothing, but you look at the mascot and it kind of looks, you know, it's more like a mountain lion-esque type of an animal. Um, so how do you beat a mountain? Going, I'm going Tacoma. Well, you know, Brandon, I, a river cat, you know, see, you see the logo and it kind of has the look of a, of a mountain lion. And I, I feel like a mountain lion traverses mountains. So I feel like this is an optimal matchup, you know? Like, this is a team with some big men who are going against... Uh, but it says river. Yeah, yeah, I know. It doesn't say mountain lion. It are says there rivers river. on mountains? Is that yeah. a thing? Yeah. So I'm just saying, I mean, I don't know about Mount Rainier. If there's a river on there, this river cat's going to have a day. So I'm taking river cats. Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be the uh, the tiebreaker here. I'm gonna go mountains. You can't you can't trump the mountains. Absolutely. But. What's a cat gonna do? Claw it to death? No, it's not gonna happen. One avalanche. Goodbye, cat. <laughs> <laughs> Man, didn't think about it like that. Okay. Right, <laughs> so for, <laughs> for the second second uh, game in our playing games, we have the Reno Aces versus the uh, Las Vegas Aviators. Yeah, that's a tough one because Aces really is just a nod to like a, a card. Obviously, Reno, uh, you can do some card gambling out there, and then. Vegas, you got the Aviators uh, as a pilot. A tough one? A man versus a card? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. I mean, I've seen the movie 21 with Kevin Spacey, and I want to just believe that there's some some power there. And uh, If we're playing poker, all he's got to do is tear it up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's tough. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I want to believe the Aces have a chance, but this this pilot and the Aviators are going to absolutely just tear this card to shreds. Yeah, no. Are you kidding me? It's a, a <laughs> human being is beating a card. All right. Well, so it is said and so it is done. Aviators on. So let it be written. So let it be done. Okay, for the first round of our 
official round. We have the Skeeters versus the uh, the Tacoma Rainiers, the mountains. Um, I don't know, mosquitoes versus a mountain. Brandon? I mean, if you're thinking about who's more fierce, mosquitoes. Look at all the diseases they carry. Look what they've done to the world. Sorry, that's the most deadly one over a mountain. The only way a mountain wins if I'm geographically near it. Now, is it going to crush a whole thing of mosquitoes? I don't know if it has the rubble to take them all out. Mosquitoes advance for me. Well, see, I want to go the opposite way. And I, you know, I love the Skeeters mascot, but Mountain Rainier, if I'm not mistaken, is pretty cold. I think the mosquito is going to freeze. This is not the optimal climate for a mosquito to. Oh, but yeah, but I, are we doing it like in a neutral site? Is it all here at Constellation? <sighs> That's true. You know true. what? Constellation is hosting this. All right. So home field advantage for the mosquito. I still feel like, I, I mean, is the mosquito going to give the Mountain West Nile virus? Is that a thing? Why not? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm moving. Have you ever seen the Mountain versus the Viper in Game of Thrones? <laughs> yeah, but it's not a mosquito. I know, but it's like a viper. <laughs> it's like a snake mosquito. Same kind of family insects. Uh, give me the Mountain. Okay, I'm going to be the icebreaker or icebreaker. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> tiebreaker here, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that the mountain wins over the mosquito. I don't see a mosquito biting the mountain. I'm sorry. Uh, and, yeah, here we Good go. luck with Swatson. Uh, okay, for the, uh, for the uh, second game, we got the uh, isotopes against the Salt Lake Bees. The Albuquerque isotopes against the Salt Lake Bees. Who you got? You know, I, I love the the Bees mascot. They've actually, they're the, one of the oldest mascots and, and nicknames in minor league baseball. But uh, I don't really know what an isotope is, but it just seems like it would, uh, it's probably a little more powerful than a bee. I mean, Ryan, we all know isotopes are variants of particular chemical elements, which differ in neutron number and consequently nucleon <laughs> number as well. All isotopes of a given element have the same number of protons, but different numbers of neutron within an atom. Okay. If you don't know that, Get a book. Indubitably. <laughs> Indubitably. Just read it off Wikipedia like Brandon is here. Whoa, how did you know? Of course, I'm taking an, an isotope. You split it, kaboom. So yeah, yeah, we're going. That's that's full chalk. Troy, who would you have there yeah, if we had to split it? I probably would have gone the isotopes too. All right, that's going to be a tough. They are like the Gonzaga of this uh, Royal Rumble here. All right, for our third game, we have the uh, Oklahoma City uh, Dodgers, which is the Trolley Dodgers, if you didn't know, versus the... Uh, Las Vegas Aviators, who you got? The Pilots or the the Dodgers? Oh man, that's a tough one there. I think I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Dodgers just because I think they'll have more grit. You stand in front of a train and try to get around that or jump off of one. These pilots, I'm not too worried. Yeah, you know, the Aviators, they had a great first round. It was a tough play in matchup and you know kudos to them on a great season. But uh yeah, I mean the the Dodgers, I mean, they're meant to dodge, so the pilot's only as good as he is aiming at the Dodger, but if he's a Dodger, I mean, that's that's going to be tough. So it's I'm his going, profession. I'm with oh, you. Okay, see you on that one. Yep. Troy, who would you have, though? Yeah, I would have had the Dodgers, too. Okay, for our fourth game in the first round, we have the El Paso Chihuahuas versus the Round Rock Express. Trains versus Chihuahuas, guys. I mean, I love the Chihuahuas mascot, and I love the fear of the ears, you know, rally cry there. They got an El Paso, but, you know, the Chihuahua, it, its bark is bigger than its stature, but... When, Coming up against the train, I, I I don't like its chances here, Brandon. I don't know where you, where you fall in this. Yeah, the cliche expression, don't be standing on the tracks when the train's coming through. I mean, that stands for anybody, let alone a chihuahua. Yeah. Yeah, get out of here. We have a, we have a big mess <laughs> on the tracks to clean also, up. Also, the name was actually made after Nolan Ryan, whose nickname was the Ryan Express. And either way, give me Nolan Ryan over the chihuahua yeah. either way. You know how far he's throwing that dog? Moving on. <laughs> uh, what All if right. Nolan Ryan had a chihuahua, by the way? Like, can you see him owning a chihuahua? <laughs> Yes, you know what? just sitting. Yes. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> sitting hope, behind the seats, petting I hope, it. I want to speed that into existence. All right, Troy, who we got next? All right, so now we're in the semifinals. 
first round, or I don't know how to say this. Okay, first semifinal. First, round. yeah, there you go. Uh, the uh, the mountains, Rainiers versus the Isotopes. Who you got? Again, Isotope. You split that kaboom. There goes the entire mountain. I think the Isotopes is. I mean, it, it's gonna be really hard to beat those guys. Yeah, I mean, the only way I could picture a mountain losing is if you demo it, and yeah. this is the perfect vehicle to demo the mountain. Um, I'm, I'm with you, Brandon. ABQ onto the finals. Yeah, I'm going to agree with y'all. Okay, for our uh, second game, we have the uh, Dodgers for the Express. This is kind of ironic because... Uh, yeah, this is a riveting matchup right here. <laughs> I mean, this is this is one of those situations where the semifinal might have actually been better than the... Like Friday Night Lights, where the people may not know that game that they played in Friday Night Lights was actually the semifinal, not the actual game. Yeah, against Dallas Carter. I mean, talk about strength for strength here. The train versus the people that are supposed to dodge the train. Brandon, what are you, what are you thinking here? Oh, man, that is... I mean, that's... This is the ideal matchup. You're exactly right. I think this is the real final because whoever goes on to face the isotopes, ooh, it's not looking pretty. But yeah. <laughs> I think I think I'm gonna go Dodgers. I think this is what they've trained for. This is what they live for. This is their moment. They're getting out of the way of that train. Boom, winning that rumble. Man, I, I just can't picture the the train. I mean, you have one singular goal here and I mean, yeah, the, the Dodgers are there, but have they ever come up against like the Express? I mean, they've they dodged trolley cards, but have they dodged the, the Ryan Express? I mean, I gotta I gotta go Round Rock here. Yeah, I'm going Dodgers. I think they were born to do this, and uh, this is the perfect time for them to do it and to uh, succeed. So absolutely, they just keep moving, tire the train out. What are they like? Are they like chimney sweeps? Like, are they born to do this? Are they like newsies? Like, if you're a like trolley born dodger, to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you born to dodge trolley cars? <laughs> it's just like the idea that someone's like, son, someday you're gonna go dodge those trolley cars, and that's how it happened. Yeah. He's like in Oklahoma City, though. <laughs> Okay, well, they learned about it, all right? <laughs> Either way, I'm going Dodgers. Uh, all right, well, we got a right. pretty the good finals. The finals. Isotopes versus the Dodgers. Mm, they're not dodging that isotope when it splits. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be uh, pretty much into smithereens and dust. I, th I think that's a, kind of a clear winner on that one. I don't know what an isotope is, Stolen. I could probably read that definition like 25 times, and I could tell you I don't know what it is. <laughs> I cannot make it simpler. <laughs> <laughs> read it again. I, I mean, like, yeah, I don't know what it is, and I'm actually the fear of the unknown. I, I mean, the isotopes, which ironically, that's who we uh, open our season up against. So we'll, we'll be put to the test right here on May 6th. You know, the isotopes got their name because they're actually actually the team name from the Simpsons, the Springfield Isotopes. Oh, that's why win. Albuquerque brought in that. So oh, it's beautiful. That's why, because Homer works at the power plant and it's named after specifically that. Wanted to save that gym to the final because I knew they were going to make it. Oh, <laughs> love it. Troy, who would you have went there to? Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of want to went with the Dodgers. No, I'm just joking. I, would, <laughs> I definitely went with the Isotopes. Wow. Isotopes just absolutely demolished the competition, I think. is they, Did they demolish or did they? I don't, I don't know what they do. But... I might be going to Albuquerque on May 6th, so I'll try to get a better idea of uh, what they what an what an isotope actually is. I want to get a picture of their actual mascot. I want to see what it's going to look like because I don't know how they'll design that. Like, is it a scientist? <laughs> okay, just one big beaker. Like, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> Nerds. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it. Episode number four. I hope you enjoyed listening. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and review. We'll see you next week. You've listened to Down in Sugarland.